We heard noise. We heard an avalanche ripping down a 3,000-foot wall next to us on one side. And then a second avalanche started ripping down a 6,000-foot vertical wall on the other side. And I'm a geologist, and I've spent a lot of time in the mountains. And I thought, two avalanches at the same time on different slopes? That doesn't make sense. Something's very wrong. From Outside Magazine, this is The Daily Rally. Short stories of resilience in the face of big challenges and unexpected adventures. Today, a mountaineer finds himself in the middle of a catastrophe and learns how to move forward. After this. I'm Jim Davidson. I live in Fort Collins, Colorado. I've been a climber my whole life, but I have emigrated out here when I was in my 20s to be near the mountains from my home state of Massachusetts. I had one of the biggest challenges in my life when I was climbing Mount Everest in 2015. I've been a climber for a long time and finally was going to grapple with that chance to grab my dream of climbing Mount Everest. And I was at uh, Camp 1 at an elevation of about 19,700 feet. And I was camped in a small tent on the glacier. In the moment of crisis, the avalanches roared towards us. I yelled at my tentmate Bart to get outside the tent because we don't want to be in the tent because those avalanches could kind of push the tent under more easily. And then all of a sudden, our tent shot up into the air, kind of hovered for two seconds, and then dropped back down. And it went up again and back down again. Well, what it was is those were the waves of the earthquake rippling through the glacier that our tent was resting on. And being in the tent was like being in a life raft on the ocean as the swells were going underneath us, picking us up and dropping us down. We were trapped at Camp 1 because our route back down the mountain had been wiped out by all the avalanches, and we had aftershock after aftershock and more avalanches, so it was kind of living in that fear and uncertainty for a, a very gripping 48 hours waiting for our chance to escape Mount Everest. My mental state and my emotional state would go up and down a lot, and it happened with people around me. And, you know, I might get really upset, and Bart would say, hey, Jim, come on. we got some world-class climbers and world-class Sherpas and guides here. We're going to figure this out. And I would calm down, and maybe an hour later, he would get upset. And i go, come on, Bart. So I think that's what happens. We need to take turns lifting each other up and putting a little hope into one another so we can make it through it. Also, I was looking inside myself a lot because we had 48 hours just to lay in the tent. We couldn't take any action until we could get off the mountains. And I would find myself thinking back on lessons that my dad and my old climbing partner Mike had taught me. So I was kind of pulling strength from my past as well as trying to grab some hope from the future to get back and see my wife and kids. Climbers have been going to Mount Everest for over 100 years, and there's never been an earthquake like that while they were on the mountain. This one was an especially bad one. It was 7.8 magnitude. It was the biggest earthquake to hit Nepal in 81 years. And very luckily for us at uh, Camp 1, nobody was hurt or killed, which was an amazing lucky coincidence. But sadly, in base camp, they had a bigger problem. There were 70 people wounded and 18 people killed instantly. So it was the deadliest day ever on Mount Everest. After the helicopters were used to move the wounded off to field hospitals, we were eventually able to get everybody out of Camp 1 and off the mountain. When we were descending from Mount Everest, we began to see the damage around us. It wasn't just us climbing on Everest. It was these people's homes, their communities. They had lost loved ones. They had lost neighbors. And we realized that that was a much more important thing than any climb or any other recreational activity. 
And so we were trying to spark some hope and resilience in them by helping to lift them up. And it kind of reflected back. So we're taking turns lifting each other up, and that's energizing. I've actually found that over the years, as you look back on something traumatic, you say, you know, I can't change that bad thing. And so you have to kind of fight that urge. And there are some dark days, but instead you try to move forward and say, I'm going to instead use this as a strength. And that's what they call post-traumatic growth. We all have something that drives us forward. Some people is playing music, others it's marathons or meditation. For me, it's mountains. My first big mountain climb was on Mount Washington in New Hampshire. It was wintertime, but I remember reaching the summit and I knew that I wanted to spend my life trying to recapture that feeling of awe of being in such a rare and beautiful place. And so I wanted to go back because I still wanted to climb Everest, but I was afraid because I didn't want to go through that again. And the question is, how are you going to rise up, take on that next challenge ahead with resilience? Being a scientist, I turned to science to give me an answer about how many earthquakes have, have occurred, how big, and how the plates have uh, released stress and everything. But in fact, the analysis of the seismology showed there was more risk. And so my, my kind of go-to spot of science backfired on me. And I thought, well, I have to dig a little bit deeper. If you look to your past, you can find people who give you resilience. Your parents, a favorite grandparent, a coach or a teacher. And that's resilience from your past. And then you kind of look towards the future and go, where do I want to be in the future? Who do I want to be in the future? And I've also found in my career as a climber now for over 40 years, that every time I take on a bigger challenge, if it makes me nervous, that's the right size challenge. So going back to Everest again did scare me, which told me it was a challenge that had the potential to make me grow into something more. You have to be on Everest about a month or two to train yourself up to deal with the high altitude in the thin air. And as that was going on, I slowly settled into a little bit more confidence and I was pretty acclimatized and I felt like I understood the mountain fairly well. But, you know, you've been working for weeks and weeks, so we were very tired. I had lost huge amounts of weight and muscle, so we were very beat down. You're exhausted because you can't sleep at high altitude, so I'd been up for, you know, 30 hours or something like that. We managed to reach the summit just before sunrise on a beautiful day. And you're walking that last little section of the true summit and just space drops away around you because you have an 8,000 foot drop off off to your left in Nepal and an 11,000 foot drop off off to the right down into Tibet. And you're just walking this very narrow ridge and the sun's coming up and you can look down upon all the other mountains around you there. They're 27, 28,000 feet and you're looking down upon them. And it was almost like being in space a little bit and looking down on the earth. And the stars are just the brightest I'd ever seen. So it is absolutely awe-inspiring to be there. But also, it makes me feel very humble because I'm just so small on this big, beautiful planet. One thing I've learned through all this is that even though life is busy and crazy things can happen, you have to take time to fill up your cup with resilience. Whatever it is that brings you joy and awe and that you love spending your free time doing, take the time to do that even when you're busy, even when there's a lot going on. So you're the strongest version of you possible moving forward to face that next challenge or opportunity ahead. Jim Davidson is a mountaineer 
environmental geologist, and motivational speaker. His book, The Next Everest, chronicles the 2015 earthquake and avalanches on the mountain, as well as the recovery effort that followed. Learn more about him and his work at speakingofadventure.com. The story was produced by Tanvi Kumar. We want to hear your stories. Please nominate the people in your life who found a way to rally. Go to outsideonline.com slash daily rally, where you can also see photos of many of our guests. The Daily Rally was created for Outside by me, Kat Jaffe, and House of Pod. The executive producer for Outside is Michael Roberts. Additional production and script editing by Marin Larson. Our audio editors are Kevin Seaman and Benny Beausoleil. And our music is composed by Louis Weeks. We appreciate our Outside Plus members who make this show possible. If you're not already a member, you can join us at outsideonline.com slash pod plus. Thank you for listening.